Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. Our team worked hard to put this sermon together with you in mind, and we hope it helps you take your next step with Jesus. Enjoy. Everybody, how's it going today? Welcome, welcome to church. Welcome across all of our campuses. We're so glad that you've chosen to join us this weekend for service. And welcome to this week's session of Jesus Is, where we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we're looking at the life of Jesus. We're looking all about, we're taking a fresh look at Christ. We're looking at his words, his parables, his teachings, his relationships. Uh, how he treated other folks on the inside and the outside of things, his personhood, his godhood is all in our view. And the goal of all of this study is simply this, is by looking at Jesus, we might become like him. By looking at Jesus and staring deeply into his face through God's word, our goal is to become like him and to reflect his beauty, his love, his grace, his mercy, his truth. Because let's be honest, to look more like Jesus and less like us is the whole goal of this thing called Christianity. And so that's where we're headed. Now to, uh, to help us get there today, turn to your, uh, Luke chapter 10, please, in your Bibles, Luke chapter 10. And we're going to come across this conversation between Jesus and a person who we would consider to be a legal expert not in criminal law or civil law, but rather this guy is a whiz kid at religious law. And so this guy knows the Torah. This guy knows the laws of Moses like the back of his hand. And it's from this basis of expertise that he's going to ask Jesus a question. But this isn't a question where he's legitimately after trying to understand an answer. Rather, the motivation of this person is actually he's trying to trap the Lord. He's trying to set a trap because... At this point in the timeline of Jesus' ministry, everybody's kind of looking at him thinking, well, we're not really sure if he's on our side or not in terms of the Jewish people. And so they're going to try to prove in this conversation once and for all that Christ has no respect for God's laws. And so that's the agenda to expose Jesus here in this conversation so that the Jewish leaders have the grounds to shut him down. They're trying to shut him down. And that's really a nice attitude, isn't it? So this law dog and Jesus have a chat. And you would think, because this is going to get technical, right? You'd think that, man, they're going to really dig into some Mosaic law, maybe some Deuteronomy, maybe even quoting some minor prophets here in this discussion about legal stuff. But that's hardly the case. In fact, uh, we see something quite the opposite. So you're, you're there now in Luke chapter 10. Let's read in verse 25 through verses 37. And then we're going to dig into this a little bit. Here's what Luke says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? Don't you love it when the Lord answers 
a question with a question right back at the person who's asked the question in the first place. That is like an awesome, awesome thing. He does this a lot, and here we see it again. So the guy answers, verse 27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. And he goes on to say, Love your neighbor as yourself. This is Leviticus 19.18. Jesus replies, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw this guy almost half dead, right, he passes by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where this guy was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus asks another question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, what do you think about this story? You like this story? This pretty familiar passage of Scripture, maybe one of the more famous teachings in the Bible. I actually think it's astonishing that Jesus would turn a conversation about the minutia of following the law completely on its head and instead gives us what is widely considered the most beloved and beautiful teaching in the entire New Testament, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think only the Lord could do something like that. Now, I want to just give you a big picture statement to start things out when we dig into this. What is Jesus doing here? So this is your Jesus is statement. So Jesus is leading us to meet the needs of those around us. That's what the Lord is up to here. He's casting vision for something we're going to call neighboring today. Neighboring. Now, what's neighboring? We're going to talk about this a lot. Listen, here's what neighboring is. We're called to communicate the gospel to everyone around us, aren't we? We're called to communicate the gospel, to urge people to believe the message of Jesus with all of our hearts. And sometimes we use words and other times we don't use words. And here what we have is a vision for neighboring that is by and large nonverbal. It's a nonverbal form of gospel communication. Whether the people we serve believe this message or not, Jesus is leading us to do this. He's leading us to meet the needs of those around us. So in his name, that's our objective. That's how we're going to look more like Christ. Let's start then with the original question that the person asked. What did he ask? He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And this actually wasn't an uncommon question at the time in Judaism in this, uh, in this context. There's actually multiple instances of this conversation that Jesus has throughout the Gospels. You can kind of dig into the different um, cases here. But in this one, it takes a bit of a turn because Jesus, again, he flips the script on this person and he asks him, what does the law say? How do you answer this? And the expert repeats these two points of Jewish law to perfectly summarize everything up. Love the Lord with everything you've got and love the na- your neighbor as yourself. Great, Jesus says. You got it, bro. Now go do it. On you go. Conversation over. And this is where the turn happens. Well, who's my neighbor? I'd like some clar- clarity on this. And basically what we think, he's, he's asking, what's the minimum criteria to meet, that God, that God wants us to meet to obtain salvation. And so Jesus actually never answers the question, does he? He never answers the question of who is my neighbor. Instead, he tells a, sor- a story where the Samaritan is a hero. This would have been pretty scandalous for the, the people who were listening to this parable to make a Samaritan person a hero in a Jewish story. And the reason is because Samaritans were hated by Jewish people. You may know this. Who are the Samaritans? We have to go back in history a little bit. The Samaritans were the offspring of Jewish people who intermarried with a group called the Assyrians way back in the 700s, 742. 742 in our history books, Assyria came down and conquers the 10 northern tribes of Israel and pretty much wipes out a whole generation of Jewish people, but a few people are still left, and they're basically taking God's ground, Assyria is, and so they begin to populate this. And there's Assyrians living next to a few Jewish people. They begin to intermarry and have kids. And essentially, they start a brand new sort of ethnicity. So Samaritans were half Gentile and half Jewish. And the full-blooded Jews that were still around couldn't stand it. We know this. For example, the, the Jews said that if you ate the bread of a Samaritan, it is equal to eating the flesh of a pig which is a pretty big no-no. There's a morning prayer found in Jewish writings that was was commonly prayed in Jesus' day. Here's, Here's how it goes. It went something like this. Lord, give me a good day. Give me this day my daily bread and keep me safe today, Lord. And Lord, I also pray that there will be no Samaritans in the resurrection on the last day. Amen. Nice prayer. Nice prayer. That's a real prayer. Just hatred and animosity between these two groups of people. It was palpable. And therefore, this is a huge tilt moment for this guy because Jesus is radically expanding the notion of what neighboring really means. So what does neighboring mean then? Let's, let's, um, let's offer a summary of four things that the Samaritan did here. And this becomes a kind of a model for you and I to follow, a model for neighboring. So what does the Samaritan do in this story? The first thing the Samaritan does is he displays incredible courage in helping meet the needs of another person. There's a variety of ways that he he displays courage. First, he's on this dangerous road. This is a real road, even though this is a parable. This is a real road in, um, in the geography of the day. It's called the, the Way of Blood. And it was a known 
road from Jericho to Jerusalem that you could really get beat up on if you traveled it. So this Samaritan displays courage because he gets off of his donkey and he puts himself in the same circle, in the same vicinity of the men who robbed and jumped the original guy in the first place. So the attackers could still be near. So he's in physical danger, and yet he still stops. So he's displaying courage. There's more courage, though, because then he puts the almost dead Jewish guy on his donkey, and he goes into a Jewish town. So you have rolling in to this village, right? You have a Samaritan pulling a donkey with a half-dead Jewish guy on it. What do you think everybody who was Jewish in the village, what do you think they were thinking about this Samaritan when the guy walks in? Do you think he was in danger in that moment? Absolutely he was. He was in enemy territory. As I said, this is two groups, bitter enemies, and the Samaritan reaches across this enormous barrier and displays incredible courage in his offer to help this guy. He risks his life again. It took courage to neighbor the way that Jesus lays out here. And it takes courage for you and I to neighbor the way that Jesus lays out here as well, because your neighbor is absolutely anybody in need that crosses your path. Do you believe this? Our calling is to offer help, even if it means crossing barriers like this. Barriers, it takes courage to cross barriers. We have barriers too, don't we? We have barriers of race, we have barriers of economics, even barriers of religion when it comes to where are we going to place our resources to help somebody else. Listen, it's natural, it's just perfectly natural to want to help and to give assistance to people who you like or who are like you or you feel comfortable with, is it not? In high school, when I was applying for scholarships, I applied for several scholarships from the Portland Swiss Club. The Portland Swiss Club. There's a bunch of Swiss people up in Oregon, and they formed a club in Portland. And I got two scholarships because, why? Because Swiss people were really wanting just to help other Swiss people like me be successful. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Unless we limit our help to just that spectrum. Our neighboring has to go beyond those who we just feel comfortable around. Jesus says, I want my followers to cross barriers of comfort in order to neighbor because that's going to change the world. That's going to change the world. There's another barrier that I think is here as well. I want to talk about it for just a second. This is a barrier that I think a lot of us, when it comes to giving aid and assistance to another person, we struggle with this particular barrier. Let me describe it this way. Hey, um, so-and-so is asking for help for financial help. But the problem is I know a little bit about so-and-so's life and I know a little bit about the circumstances of why they ended up in this place of need in their life. And the reason they're there is because of their own foolish and their own dumb decisions. They've been reckless. They've been bad with their choices. And what's happening right now to them is simply they're getting what they deserve. I'm not sure what that barrier is called, but let's call it this for, for today. But they brought this on themselves, barrier. Anybody with me on this one? Anybody struggle with this one? Nobody's saying anything here in the auditorium. Hopefully in the campuses you guys are tracking with me. Uh, I think this is convicting. I think if we're really honest, 
This may be the biggest barrier that we have when it comes to giving ourselves an excuse to not help another person. So the question is, do we withhold help from someone that we think is just reaping what they've sown? Do we help someone that basically is just sleeping in the bed that they've made? Do we cross a barrier on this one or do we get a pass on this? I think the parable is very clear. I think the teaching Jesus sets the thing up in such a way that the Samaritan would have totally believed that the Jewish guy who was near dead on the road, he, he would have deserved it. We know that the history of these two groups is such bad blood. And we also know that 100% the group uh, believed that the other people had harsh judgment waiting for them. God was, was just storing it up wrath for them. So, so they have it coming to them. They've got it coming to them. So with this general understanding in mind, what we have here is a Samaritan, when he sees this Jewish guy bloodied up on the road, he would have seen a guy who was simply getting what he deserved. And yet, he reaches down and he helps him anyway. So here's the teaching. We must not limit the assistance that we give based on whether we feel the person deserves it. Imagine for a second if that's how God treated you and me. What if Christ had only shed his blood for the deserving in our midst? For those who really kind of, maybe they were in need, but boy, they were really, they merited his love and grace. If that were the case, then I would just submit to you humbly that none of us would be saved. None of us would inherit eternal life in the New Testament model. None of us would qualify for the criteria of being deserved, of, of deserving God's grace. And yet, what we know from the gospel is Jesus freely gave himself. And so this parable is simply laying out a vision for us to follow in the footsteps of Christ. If Jesus gives freely, so should we. And this is the point in the sermon where maybe one or two people may say amen or just give a nod because that is the gospel, my friends. Thank you. <laughs> what else does the Samaritan do? He gets dirty. He gets real dirty. He displays courage and he gets dirty. This almost goes without saying, but when he stops to help this poor guy, he goes up to him and he's half dead and he turns him over, right? He's touching him. He does some first century CPR on him, you know, and he's, 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 he's doing one of these staying alive things, right? And he's getting blood and sweat on his clothes and he's very unclean at this point, both ceremonially unclean as well as literally unclean. And to neighbor like this means simply that we've got to get in to the middle of somebody else's messy pain and their messy situation and resist the inclination to just sanitize ourselves from all of this stuff. Don't we do that? I think we do. I think what we like to do is write checks to a charity and go play golf. And yet the parable of the Samaritan casts a different vision. You know, um, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, we were um, kind of put together a, a guy's Bible study in Brentwood campus. And so a few of the guys and I, we decided to meet on Monday mornings for Bible study together. And uh, I chose a location. Um, you know, we have a lot of different places that you could go, but we chose this one particular McDonald's that's in kind of a, not the best neighborhood. 
in the Brentwood area. And the reason that we did that, there's twofold, is because the, the coffee is only a dollar um, a cup, regardless of the size. And the second reason that I chose this location, and the guys who attend this are just going to hear about this right now for the first time when they watch this. The second reason I chose the location is because this is where a lot of the homeless of our community hang out. And it's a, it's a bit of an interesting situation in early mornings. And so we had Bible study this last Monday, and there was a homeless guy who came in, and he sat right next to our Bible study table, and uh, he had all of his stuff there, and he was just drinking a little cup of coffee, and he was kind of there the whole time, and I could tell he was sort of listening to, to us. We're studying a, a New Testament book and having a great conversation. We're praying for each other. And after the, the meeting dismisses, I walk up to the guy, and I said, hey, man, um, are you hungry? And he goes, yeah, I'm a little hungry. And I said, well, what do, you, what do you like to eat here at McDonald's? And he's kind of like, yeah, no kidding, right? It's McDonald's. And I'm like, yeah, is there anything you like here? And he goes, well, yeah, I, I could have this. And I'm like, well, anything else? And, and so I, I got what he wanted, and I went and bought it for him, and I came back, and and I gave him the, the little number for the table for the guys to come out and bring it when it was ready. And, and I just talked to him for a little bit. And I was ready to leave. And I went to go shake his hand. And he very consciously of himself knew he was very dirty. And so he just kind of gave me a fist, a fist pump. He was going to give me a fist pump so I wouldn't have to touch him. And so I knew this. And I was like, no, no, no. Can I just shake your hand? And so he self-consciously shook my hand. I shook his hand. And I said, man, I hope you have a great day. And he goes, thank you very much. And I left. And this whole thing about just getting dirty, about being in the middle of people's messes, this is something that we need to hear. We need to hear this. We need to be reminded of this. Because I think what scares us and keeps us from from really being like Jesus in this is that we just are, we're either insecure or we're just too, we're just too, um, I don't know, we just don't want to be bothered by getting in the middle of people's lives when we offer help. And we just want to kind of, um, hey, here's some assistance. And then we just want to get out of there. And yet that's not necessarily how you best serve another person's needs. Sometimes it's a long-term thing. Sometimes you got to get in the middle and you got to listen to a bunch of stories about why they got there and you got to really dig into somebody's life with them to help dig them out. Amen, Amen sister. Amen. You can testify. Hey, we're having a charismatic meeting up in here now. This is awesome. Neighboring like this reflects the heart of the gospel to not just share resources, but to share our lives with one another. And we got a neighbor like this. You may not be able to neighbor like this to everybody you meet, but there's a couple of people that you can neighbor like this with. And that is our calling. Right alongside this, you know what else happens here? Is not only does the guy get dirty, the Samaritan, but you know what else? He completely destroys his schedule. Obviously, the Samaritan was headed somewhere, and the text doesn't say where he was headed, but you just kind of put ourselves in the middle of the situation. He was probably headed to a business deal somewhere. And the moment that he drops the help, he knows his schedule is shot. He knows his calendar just got wrecked for the day. 
And then he just continues this train wreck in his schedule because he goes to the inn and he spends the night with this guy, caring for him all night long, probably lost a lot of sleep. None of this was in his plan when he woke up on the way to his business deal. Where? Well, there goes that appointment. There goes that sales call. There goes that situation. It didn't matter to the Samaritan because this was more important. Now, I've, I've um, talked to you about this before. You guys kind of know me. Uh, by now. Some of you, maybe if you're a first-time guest, well, welcome to Cornerstone. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about me. I struggle here this point the most. Let's put this list back up. Destroys the schedule. This is where I struggle the most. I, I've, I've said this before. I'm a, I'm a scheduler. I'm a planner. I like to have a plan for the day, and I like to work that plan. Some of you are planners too. Who's a planner in here? Anybody else a planner? Some of you are planners and you're married to non-planners, and man, that's fun. Isn't that a great marriage? <laughs> but like me, the planners, you strive to be organized, you're prepared, you're dependable, you thrive on consistency, you like to keep your commitments. When you show up to something late, you start to break out in a cold sweat because there's something inside of you. There's a little bit of OCD, there's a little bit of something in your DNA because you like predictability and you're drawn to continuity and surprise interruptions and unexpected requests. They throw off your mojo. <laughs> Disruptions annoy you. And if that's you, then I am just like you. And then somebody in the audience is probably saying or thinking, well, Billy, aren't you in the wrong profession? And I'm like, you know, yeah, you're right, but don't make fun of me. Pray for me. <laughs> I have to constantly fight this off. Swiss people, we are good with time management. And so it's in our DNA. <laughs> now, here's the lesson that I'm still learning. I'm still learning this, and that's this lesson. Christ cares a lot more about another person's pain than my plan. The Samaritan says, you can choose one of the two, people over planning. Which one would he say to choose? Choose the person. Choose serving a need or serving a schedule. Which would the Samaritan say to choose? Serve the need. Sam says, serve the need. Rather than giving us a life of predictability, Jesus allows the needs of others to interrupt us so that we can die to our own agendas and live like true neighbors. So let me ask you this question, friends. How interruptible are you? What is your interruptibility factor in your life? Are you guarding your calendar so closely that you're missing the needs of another person in your path? The parable of the Good Samaritan is another reminder that we all need to be interruptible. We all need to be interruptible. Increase your interruptibility factor. Increase your interruptibility awareness as you look and see the people in your path that have a need. The last thing that the Samaritan does here among these other three things is he practices generosity radical generosity. So not only did he suffer the loss of, of business potentially, again, that's not in the text. Uh, it doesn't say this in the text, but I think, again, if we put ourselves in the, in the position of why he's on the road in the first place, we can maybe derive that point. Um, but certainly we know this, that the oil and the wine that he used to dress the wound of 
the guy on the road, that was expensive. And then you've got a one or two day period of food and lodging that he's paying in advance. That all costs a lot of money. And not only money, though, he's generous with his time, as we talked about the schedule. And, and notice he tells the innkeeper that he's going to be back to follow up. So he's not just a one-and-done helper. He's going he's to stay with it. He's not just help once and forget about it. He's going to stick with this guy. He's generous with his influence, too. Notice that he recruits the innkeeper to, to help care for this guy. <laughs> so he's using his ability to inspire others in a positive direction to join in the cause of getting this guy back on his feet. And so his generosity is comprehensive. It's holistic. It's this. It's, he's meeting emotional needs. He's meeting physical needs, financial needs, medical needs, and even transportation needs. There's a whole range of generosity that's in play here. The financial side is just one side of it. I think a lot of us kind of say, I'm not sure I have the financial resources to help in this kind of a way. I understand that. But there's other types of generosity, and we see this. There's some, maybe some options here that you may not have considered before. And so we see in summary then courage. We see getting dirty and messy and being interruptible and this radical generosity. And so this is what Jesus is showing us, you and I, how to neighbor his way. He's casting vision for us to live like this. When he taught this, the Lord taught this, nobody had heard anything like this. This was so radical. And yet, as much as we love this teaching, I would say most of us would give ourselves not a very good grade here. Most of us would say we're failing on, on one point of these or another. We're falling short because it's challenging to meet another person's needs. There's a lot of obstacles. Again, not everybody. We're not called to meet everybody's needs. We're called to meet the person's needs that are in our path. But the question becomes, it's challenging as this is, well, how do we do it? How do you do this? How do you neighbor like this? Where, where do you even start? I'm just going to offer you an answer in a general sense and hope that you can apply it. And the answer is this, as it usually is with the Christian faith. We do this only by the power of Christ. Not by my power, not by my intellect, not by my resources, but only by his. And the reason we can use the resources of Jesus is because he's doing this already perfectly and beautifully. Let me explain that. You don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 8, there is another conversation that Jesus is having with Jewish religious leaders, but at this point in the timeline, things are, are starting to heat up. This is closer to the cross and now the Jewish leaders are on to Jesus and they're at his heels and they're really openly like opposing him to his face. And they're really not only just trying to shut him down, now they're trying to kill him. And so Jesus is teaching in John 8 and there's this exchange that happens. And the Pharisees resort to name calling. They say this, Jesus, you are a Samaritan and you have a demon. Now, this isn't just eighth-grade locker talk here. This is a terrible, like, serious insult. This is a slur. I mean, this is like they're throwing it down. 
Well, what does Jesus do? Here's his response. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I love this response. Don't you love this response? Jesus immediately refutes having a demon. But he never denies being a Samaritan. It's nowhere in his response. Why? Well, first of all, there's no way that Christ is going to dignify this kind of talk with a response. This is a racial slur, and he's not going to have any part of that discussion. Secondly, he's not refuting the accusation because he actually is the good Samaritan. (laughs) He didn't deny this part of the insult because he would ultimately fulfill perfectly what he taught about loving your neighbor as yourself in the Good Samaritan parable. And so to give you another Jesus is statement, Jesus is the true Good Samaritan. Think about it. Jesus courageously steps out of heaven and into this dusty, broken world, and he risks everything. He displays incredible courage. He risks reputation, relationship with his father, title, position, all the riches and wealth of heaven. He pushes it all into the center of the table and says, I'm all in. Everything is at risk. Secondly, he certainly gets dirty, doesn't he? First of all, he's a carpenter. And so he's traveling the dusty roads of Israel, going from job to job, just sweating it out every day, getting dirty. His feet are dirty all the time. He's touching people, the leper, the lame, the sick, the unclean, the prostitute, right? The deaf, the blind, the poor. He's, he's, he's like literally like not insulating himself at all from the pain and filth of this life. Jesus is in the middle of this mess. And what can you say about his schedule? I mean, other than he's God and he invented time, he was constantly being interrupted, wasn't he? On the way to do a healing, someone would interrupt him for a healing. He's omni-interruptible. And then, of course, there's his radical generosity, the giving of his perfect self to pay the debt of sin, that you and I racked up. He picks us up, doesn't he, in our dead and broken state, and he brings us to the inn, and he pays to see us healed. He pays to make us whole. He pays the innkeeper, and then he comes back continually to check on us. He never leaves us alone. He pays with his broken body and his shed blood. This is the gospel. He did not deny being a Samaritan because... He's him. He's the true hero of the story. The Jewish carpenter from Nazareth, it turns out, is actually the good Samaritan traveling the dangerous roads to rescue those left for dead. And that's you and me. And now that we're In the process of healing, Jesus says, go and do likewise. Don't go talk about it. Don't go theorize about it, but go do it. And so this is his invitation then for you and for me to follow him. Jesus never asks us guys to do anything that he doesn't already, hasn't already done himself. And now he's mandating us to meet the needs of others around 
whoever's in our path, whether they believe the gospel message or not. And so we don't try to do this by our strength, only by his. And so this is the cry of our hearts. This is it. This is the cry of our hearts that all the days of our life, we could be like Jesus. We could look like him and be like him and reflect his love, the love of the good Samaritan, that we might be that to another person because he was that to us first. The ultimate good Samaritan is Jesus. Let's pray. So, Lord, there's a lot to pray about here, but first of all, our our goal is to just really be like you. And so we're asking that you would give us your grace and your strength to live this part of the, of the teaching that you put forth in the Gospels. You, you would help us, Lord, to become interruptible. There's a lot of us who struggle. There's a lot of us who are like, I'm, I'm just like so laser focused every day. And so I pray that you would help get our attention throughout the day. Even this week, even tomorrow, Lord. I pray that there wouldn't be another sort of planning situation that would interrupt what you're doing. And so make us interruptible. And there's a lot of us, Lord, who struggle with this whole judging other people because we know their backstory. We know them too well. Maybe they're family members or neighbors, and we just, we just kind of know the history of bad decisions they've made. And I pray, Lord, that you would pull that judgmental stuff out of our hearts so that we could actually look at someone like you looked at us with compassion. So there's a lot to pray about here, Lord. So we pray that you would help us in this journey of radical generosity, in this journey of being a good Samaritan. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel. Once again, we see your beautiful fingerprints all over what you did. And, Lord, we just love you for it. And may our lives reflect it in action as we go and do likewise. And we pray these things now in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.